many of y'all got a chance to catch uh, any part of the gathering of the prophets? That's where I was uh, this past week in Frankfurt. And um, I ministered on Tuesday night. Stayed over a couple more days. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to catch that, uh, go back and uh, find it. It's worth your time, I believe. Amen. 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 First Samuel 30, are you there? <clears throat> Okay, we're going to read a few verses here, verse 1 through 8, and then 17 through um, 20, well, 16 through 20, 16 through 20. Are you there? Okay, let's read together. Ready, read. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had ta been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now let's drop down, please, to verse 16 through verse 20. Verse 16 through verse 20. You have that? Okay, let's read together. Ready? Read. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening on the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them, David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. This is David's spoil. I want to use the day for a subject, taking back what the devil stole. Taking back what the devil stole. Everybody say, I'm taking back. What the, what the devil stole. Say it again. I'm taking back, I'm taking back what, the devil stole. what the devil stole. Now, Father, we thank you for the word today. I thank you for your anointing upon me in these lips of clay. I ask you, Father, that that same anointing will be upon your people, the ears, the eyes, the hearts of your people, that we may receive the word of God today, Lord. I pray that you speak from heaven. I pray for divine utterance. I pray for the unction of the Holy Ghost. And I pray, Father, that this atmosphere will be protected, guarded, safe from every demonic force that would try to impede the flow of the Word of God. Let the Word of God have free course 
and be glorified among your people today. We give you glory for what shall transpire in this place and in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. All right, you may be seated. Taking back what the devil stole. Hallelujah. I began sharing with you last Sunday about how the devil hates God's people. And we are the primary targets of the devil's wrath. Do you understand that? Do you understand that as children of God, we are primary targets of the devil's wrath. We're walking with God, and he hates us. Jesus, in fact, made the satanic agenda very clear in John 10.10. Y'all know it. He said, the thief comes only to steal, come on, and to kill, and to destroy. So the first order of business for the enemy is to steal. He comes to steal. And the devil tries to steal from those uh, who already possess something. And the devil can steal things that you know you have. He can also steal things that you don't know you have. There are people who've been left inheritances, people who've been left money, settlements, and wills, and estates. And someone unscrupulous comes along and steals it before the person who it belonged to even knew that they had it. So the devil can steal whether you know it or not. There are things that you know have been stolen from you, but there are some things that you don't know have been stolen from you. Because the devil is good at what he does. He's good at what he does. When you and I are living for God, our living for God does not exempt us from things being stolen. But when you and I have faith, it positions us and qualifies us to have things restored back into our lives. Are you listening to me today? 2023, we declared it last Sunday, is the year of restoration. Say it again. It's the year of restoration. Everything the devil stole is being restored back to the body of Christ and into your life. I wish I had a couple more amens on that. I said everything the devil stole is being restored to the body of Christ and back into your life. Hallelujah. Now some of you don't say anything. You don't respond because you don't even know stuff has been stolen from you. But if you knew what had been stolen from you, you'd get upset. Because the reason you're struggling is because you're living without the stuff that's been stolen. I'm going to come over here. The reason why you're struggling with your rent and your marriage and your lights and your children is because the things that have been stolen should be in your life, but they're not there. And you're struggling, and you think you're struggling because you're black. It ain't because you're black. It's because stuff been stolen. It ain't because you live in St. Pete because you can prosper in St. Pete. It's because things have been stolen from you. There are things that belong to you that God has for you that you have lost. Either you have lost them without knowing or you've lost them because of your, your, uh, your uh, foolish way of living. Because the foolishness of man will, will ruin your life. And so there are things that have been stolen that we, you know, they're, they're all, all in our neighborhood. I have this, uh, this neighborhood app on my phone, uh, neighborhood thing that it, people let you know what's going on in the neighborhood. And one of the things you hear about are all the, all the cars that get broken into all the time. And what people find out is, well, the car, it really wasn't broken into. I forgot to lock the door. I'm going to come on this side. I forgot to lock the door. 
and because I didn't lock the door, they really didn't break in, they just opened the door and took what belonged to me. So sometimes our actions, sometimes our scorning, our mocking, our disobedience has opened the door to the enemy. And he walked in and took what belonged to us, but even though it was our fault, it's still stolen. And if it's been stolen, then it qualifies to be restored. Some things were stolen because of this simple ignorance. We didn't know that we belong, that things belong to us. But I'm declaring to you that everything that's been stolen, your peace, your health, your finances, your solid marriage, your solid family, everything that has belonged to you, God says this year, he's restoring everything to the body of Christ and is coming back into your lives. Why don't you give God a praise early? Come on, why don't you give him a praise early right now? Just praise him early right now. If you receive that, praise him early. Don't wait, just praise him right now. I receive everything that belongs to me, even if it was my fault, he redeems my life from destruction. Hallelujah. Now take your seats. Now I, I introduced a scripture on Wednesday, on Tuesday night when I was in Frankfurt that I just want to uh, just present to you. I'm not going to teach on that today because it's, it's deep and I don't have time in this session to go deep and, and to, to, ex, to explain and explore uh, what's all in that verse. Um, I will do it over time this year. But in the book of Obadiah, you know who Obadiah is. Y'all read Obadiah every day, don't you? Obadiah, Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. Minor prophets, not minor because he was less than in terms of his, 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 um, his volume, but less than in terms of the quantity of the prophecy. So he's a minor prophet in the book of Obadiah. Hallelujah. You find Jonah. Y'all know what Jonah is, right? All right, if you know what Jonah is, you're right there by Obadiah. Obadiah chapter 1 was only one chapter, right? So he's a minor prophet. And verse 17, this is the word the Lord gave me uh, somewhere near the end of 2022 and said, this is the word for 2023. So I didn't, I didn't just pull out, well, let me see. Well, I'm going to come up with a nice thing, catch a theme for 2023 and see if I can get everybody stirred up, see if I can get everybody crunk up, you know, see if I can get everybody to sow a seed. I, I, didn't, I don't do that kind of stuff. He gave me this word because I don't read Obadiah either. I'm gonna just, I mean, just, let, me just, let me just say it too. I don't, I, don't, I don't normally camp out in Obadiah. Right? Anybody else with me? You know, Obadiah is not one of our favorite readings. Nobody on Twitter posting Obadiah. Most of y'all can't spell Obadiah, had no idea Obadiah even existed. But this is where the Lord took me and said, this is the word for 2023. For this house and all that are attached to this house. He says in verse 17, this is the focus verse. But on Mount Zion, you know Mount Zion represents the church. But on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance. I'll preach on that later. There shall be holiness. I'm going to show preach on that later. And he says the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. 
You study it out, he's talking about repossessing things that belong to you. Taking back things that have been taken from you. And he, that's why he declared to me, this is the year of restoration. It's the year of restoration. And so that's what I'm preaching on in this particular early part of this year, just to get us to the place where we begin to possess our possessions. You read in other translations, it'll talk about repossessing, retaking, reclaiming possessions. There are possessions, there are things that belong to you, whether they are material, whether they are emotional, mental, whether they are spiritual, whether they are familial, meaning your family, your marriages that has been lost, your sons or your daughters that have gone astray, whatever the case may be, whatever your possessions are, he says in this season, in this time we've now entered into, you're going to now possess your possessions. Hallelujah. 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 Possess your possessions. Now, I'm going to go right to 1 Samuel, please. Right to 1 Samuel. Because I want to talk about taking back what the devil stole. Taking back what the devil stole. And, and I, want to, I, want to, I want to, first of all, before I jump into this, tell you that God wouldn't tell us this if we couldn't take it back. Also, God wouldn't tell us this if he didn't want us to take it back. But what he has to do is to get it in you that you're supposed to have it back. In other words, tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, don't just let the devil keep your stuff. Don't just let him keep your stuff. That's your stuff. That's your peace. That's your sleep. That's your rest. That's your health. That's, that's your family. That's your marriage. That's your business. That's your ministry. That's your career. That's your anointing. That, that, that's your prayer life you lost. That's your word life. That's your fellowship with Christ that you lost. Don't just let the devil keep it. Because if God gave it to you, it belonged to you. And he had a purpose for you having that. So we got to first resolve that we're going to take it back. I refuse to let the devil keep anything that belongs to me. I refuse to let the devil keep anything that belongs to me. Now, let's go to 1 Samuel 30 because I got to get through this here in the time that I have. Hallelujah. We, we get here to, in verse 1, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. Now if you go, you study this out, you look back in the 27th chapter of 1 Samuel, you'll see where David was given this city of Ziklag. David, as you know, you may or may not know, he was still on the run from King Saul. 
King Saul, who David was serving, King Saul, whom David was honoring, uh, got it in his heart to, to destroy King David, or to destroy David. Because he was threatened by David's future. He was threatened by David's prominence, by David's success. And he decided that rather than uh, let David linger long, he'd rather kill David. And so he spent years chasing David. And David finally got it into his mind, into his mind, that what he would do to escape Saul's wrath was go to Saul's enemy, the Philistines. And so he went to the Philistines, to Achish, the king of the Philistines, and he went to him, and Achish said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you this city called uh, Ziklag. They knew David. They knew how powerful, they knew how much of a warrior David was. And even though David was from the enemy, David was from Israel, he was a Hebrew, they said, well, if David's going to come hang out with us, he can, we can use his prowess for our good. So they gave him his own city. Him and the 600 men who were with him, plus all their wives and all their children, all their stuff, they built the whole city that belonged to them. So the city of Ziklag was David's city. Are you with me so far? And so now, if you go to the, to the 29th chapter, uh, I don't have time to read all that. You can read it in your own time, and you're going to do that, right? And in chapter 29 of 1 Samuel, you see where... Uh, the, the Philistines decided they're going to now, they're going to war against Israel. You know, they were in this constant war. You remember uh, Goliath back in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. If I'm going too fast, y'all tell me, slow down, Pastor. Y'all got it? Okay, so in the 17th chapter, you saw where the Philistines were warring against Israel. In fact, you see it years prior, even when in, in Samuel's early day, when the, the Philistines were warring against Israel. So they're in constant war. So in chapter 29, I better slow down. Okay. In the 29th chapter of 1 Samuel, you see where the Philistines are now, they're going to go out and make war against Israel, against King Saul and Israel. And David and his men leave Ziklag and go and join with the Philistines and say, we're going to fight with you. Now, that's a big mistake because he's going to join God's enemy to fight against God's people. And so David should not have been there. What happened, uh, Achish said, hey, come on, we'll take you because we know you're a warrior. But the lords of the Philistines said, hey, hey, hold on, king, wait a minute. Why is this Hebrew with us? And, and he said, because, oh, he's going to come help us fight against Saul. And they said, hey, wait, wait, king, don't do that because you don't know what will happen if we get in the thick of the battle and it'll be his opportunity to turn against us and win favor with Saul by killing us. So they said, rather than let him come with us, send him back where he came from. David didn't like that. King Achish didn't like that, like that, but he listened to his lords, and they said, okay, send him back. So now David and his men leave from where they are, going to fight, against God's people, and they head back to Ziklag. Thank God they're headed back to Ziklag, and they're not going to fight against God's people, against his own people. But while they're in the wrong place, while they were in the wrong place because of, as a result of David's errant decision, they're in the wrong place, and while they're gone, they've left their wives and their children and their stuff exposed because they're in the wrong place. 
the Bible says a man that wanders from his home is like a bird that wanders from his nest. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. You got to stay in place. Don't ever go somewhere God didn't ordain you to go. Because you leave everything open for the, for the enemy. So now, are y'all with me? So now we arrive in 1 Samuel chapter 30 in verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. So I just explained to you where they were. So when they came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south, the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. Burned it with fire. And had taken, verse 2, had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, all the children, everybody. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So while David and his men are gone, out of place, out on, a, on an errant mission, a misguided intention, they left their families vulnerable. They left their stuff susceptible to the attack of the enemy. And if we tell the truth, there have been times we have been out of place and we've left our children. Come on, say something. We've left our families. We've left our homes. We've left our things vulnerable because we were not where God told us to be. We were doing something that seemed good. It seemed right, but it wasn't what God told us to do. We weren't where God, come on now, help me out. We weren't where God, y'all ain't saying nothing. Look at y'all getting quiet in this church. We weren't where God told us to be. And when we came back, everything had been carried away. Watch this. It says in verse 3, so David and his men came to, to the city, and there it was. Somebody say, there it was. In other words, this was an unexpected loss. When you see those words, there it was. The King James says, and behold, which means look at it, which meant this was unexpected, but it was a present reality. I mean, have, have you ever been hit by something in your life? It was unexpected, but it's real. You, you, you hoping that you can wake up from this dream, from this nightmare. You hoping if I wake up, it ain't going to be like it is, but it's real. It's real. Anybody? Come on now. You just, he, he, they, they came back and the Bible says, and there it was. I'll tell your neighbor, there it is. There it is. There it is. In other words, in other words it's real. I never dreamed that things would get like this, but there it is. I never dreamed that things would go bad like this, but there, there it is. I never, never dreamed my life would turn out like this, but there, there it is. I, never, I never, never thought that she would leave me. I never thought he would leave me. I never thought my family would fall apart. I, I never thought things would crash the way it did, but there, there it is. And, and when, when, when there it is, there's nothing you can do about it at the moment. It's, there it is. What, what do I do when, when there it is? He said, they came to the city, and there it was. Burned with fire 
and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. They weren't killed, but they're captive. They're, watch this. Their wives, y'all, y'all, I don't know if y'all get the gravity of this. Their wives. Women in captivity are not treated well, y'all. Y'all thinking 49th Street or you thinking, you know, going to state prison. No, these are women. I'm trying to paint a picture. Women who are taken captive, their sons and their daughters taken captive. And when their sons and daughters taken captive by, by, by heathen, ain't no telling what the heathens do with their sons and daughters. Y'all got a pretty picture in your mind. I, I'm, I'm trying, trying to destroy the pretty picture in your mind. I want you to see the gravity of the situation. Because while we have let our children go astray and our families go astray because we in our minds, well, it ain't that bad. They just, they just stand with their auntie right now. No, they're not. They're not, they're not, they're not just stand with their auntie. The devil, when the devil has them captive, he abuses them. You can't just leave it like, well, you know, they'll come home one day and, uh, you know, and no, no, no. When they're captive, they're being abused and misused by the enemy. They're captives. And when you're in captivity, you destroy the identity. I heard that this morning, a preacher preached that this morning, about when someone's taken captive, the, cap the captors seek to destroy the identity of that person. Destroy the esteem of them because when you, you destroy their identity and you destroy their esteem, then now they'll, they'll let you do anything and think now it's just okay, it's normal because you've stripped me of all that I was. So when things and people are taken captive, you can't just say, Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just praying, I'm just praying for them, I'm just praying. It's not pretty. It's not nice when the devil has our sons and our daughters captive. If you ever found out the stuff they were doing in the dark in the night while you weren't around, you 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 throw up all over your dinner. Cause it ain't pretty. They didn't take them on vacation. They were captive. Taken captive. They're captive. And these men, this is the scene, Elder Baker, that they return to. They've been out, gonna go fight and come back and the third day. This is what they return to. Everything they built is destroyed. The city was burning with fire. The homes they built literally destroyed. Businesses that they had built. Farms and lands they had built. Destroyed. The children they had been raising, the wives 
that they loved, they're gone. They're gone. This isn't, I, I got COVID. This is not, this is not COVID. This is not, I just lost my job. This, this is, this is, this is, this is your worst nightmare. This is the worst case scenario. And these men return to this scene. This was their new reality. Their whole lives were changed in a moment. No, you don't get it. These men had gone. In fact, when men go to war, their hope is to one day come back to a victor's parade and their wives and children are all waving and come on. And they, the children run and jump into their arms and the wives run and give them a big hug and a kiss and they're, 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 they, they do that for war. But these men had gone out to war, didn't make it to the war and came back and said in three days, okay, we're coming back. We're going to find, hey baby, we didn't have to go. We didn't have to go. And they, they're going to get a big meal and a big hug and they're going to lay with their wives and the children are going to be all over them and all that kind of great stuff. And they come home. And the Bible says in the fourth verse, then David and all the people who were with him, <laughs> this wasn't a whimper. It says they lifted up their voices and wept. This was no little tear running down their eyes. This is no little sniffles. See, you and I weren't there, and we don't understand the gravity, but these guys, because they're living in the moment, they lifted their voices and wept. Now, these are warriors. These are grown men. But there are some things that can even make a grown man cry. It, I've been a grown man that have went through something that made you cry as a grown man. Just, there are some things because this, this is a disaster. It's a disaster. And these grown, strapping, manly men who are willing to go and fight and risk their lives are now at their homeland crying. They're weeping. The Bible says they lifted up their voices and they wept. Until they had no more power. Anybody ever cried yourself to sleep? These men are strong. They're masculine, manly men, warriors. But sometimes life can hit you so hard, it'll break you down. And these men are weeping. 
weeping, weeping, weeping until they have no more power to weep. Now, I am not trying to appeal to your soulish nature and make you sit here and cry. In fact, the first point I want to give you, if you're going to take back what the devil stole, is to stop crying about it. Say, neighbor, stop crying about it. <laughs> well, Pastor, I was, I was just about to cry. You were, you were doing good, Pastor. I was just about to cry. I'm not here to make you cry. There are churches that will make you cry all day, and still you don't have your stuff. Snot and ain't got your stuff. Snot all over the altar, and they got to bring out paper towels and full bath towels because you snotting all over everywhere, and somebody got to pray for you, and people got to hold you. I watch people in here do that. People got to hold you. and <laughs> You ain't getting your stuff back by crying. So my first, my first instruction to you this morning, if you're going to take back what the devil stole, is to stop crying about it. Y'all better say something back to me. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. pastor said, pastor. stop crying about it. Why you don't cry about it? Number one, number one, watch this. Crying will not get your stuff back. Ah, stop crying about it because crying will not crying and never got your stuff back you crying the devil still got your stuff you crying and the devil down there having a party when we read that in verse 16 the devil they down there having a party with all that stuff down there drinking and carousing and Probably got the women dancing, probably got the little children doing a little dance. The children got to serve them little daiquiris and all that kind of stuff. And they got the children cleaning up. And they, they damn, they having a party with all the stuff. And these men back here crying. Now, I admit that life will hit you and it'll make you cry. But you got to at some point. Because crying will not get your stuff back. At some point, watch this, ladies, don't, don't get offended. You got to man up. At some point, you got to go and put your britches on and say, okay, oh, you know, all right, all right, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. I'm crying, but my child ain't back. I'm crying, and my wife ain't back. I'm crying, and my house still gone. I'm crying, and I, I still can't pay my rent. I'm crying, and my marriage is still messed up. I, I, I can't keep crying about it because crying does not get my stuff back. And you listen to some gospel music. And some gospel music how you just crying more than you were crying before. Some gospel music just even just encourage your cry. No, I'm not here to encourage your cry. I'm here to tell you, get you a big towel, wipe your face, clean your nose, blow your nose, whatever. Just stop crying about it. It happened. It's done. Now what we gonna do? I, I gotta keep going, I gotta keep going. So, so stop crying about it because crying will not get your stuff back. Number two, the only thing crying will do is drain your strength. The only thing crying will do is drain your strength. The Bible says they wept until they had no more power to weep. 
they wept until they had no more power to weep, which meant that the crying, all it did, Elder Baker, was drain their strength. They had no more power to weep. They cried till they didn't have no more power to even cry. Hallelujah. Write this down. This is important. You might not have wrote anything else down, but just or write it down or record it in your memory bank. Crying feeds the spirit of heaviness. Oh, some of y'all looking mad. Crying, plus I just want to cry about it. Okay, I, you, you cried long enough. At some point, we got to stop crying about it. Oh, just better understand. I'm, I'm still going through. That ain't fixed it yet. I'm not going to keep doing something that ain't fixing it. But you don't know how I feel. I know how you feel. I've been there. But at some point, I'm not talking about you're not, that you're not still hurting. But I realize the crying ain't fixing it. Crying feeds the spirit of heaviness. And the Bible says God gave us a, spirit, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So the way, the way to kill the spirit of heaviness is get your praise on. I better come over here. They ain't saying nothing. The way to kill the spirit of heaviness is to get, tell, tell you that, but get your praise on. Get your praise Stop crying and get your praise on. Stop crying and get your... Listen, one, one day, one day, uh, matter of fact, my wife and I, I when I was when I got up yesterday, yesterday morning, I was praying and I was just spending my time with the Lord. As I was praying, I began to thank God for how he's kept us, how he has kept us over these years. And, uh, you know, about 10 years ago was we were in this transition time looking for a new place to live. Right about this, this same time. And exactly the same time. And I remember how, you know, we, had, we thought we had a place. And, um, and what happened, the, 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 the people called and said, no, we're not going to let you have it. We were set with this our hearts. We loved it. I mean, this is an awesome place. And the people said, no, you can't have it. And I remember I, I boo-hoo cried. Because I felt like a failure. My family, I got my family. We're out here wandering. We're, we're sojourning. Thank God we had mom and dad to stay with them and all that kind of good stuff. But that, that wasn't our place. We, we were, you know, we got to have our own place. And I, I felt like an absolute failure as a husband, absolute failure as a father. I felt like my faith wasn't working. And I'm, I'm boo crying. And I call, I call my dad, spiritual dad. I said, Dad. Oh, we had this place, you know, and I'm just crying. You know, I don't know what to do. He said, stop crying. I'm looking at him to go, yes, I understand. I've been there, you know. He said, stop crying. He said, get your praise on. He said, right now, hang up the phone with me and start praising God. Now, I'm, I'm sitting at this time, I'm sitting at, y'all know, y'all know, you know, a Lassing Park? In St. Pete, Lassing Park is the beach down there, right on, on Beach Drive. And I'm sitting right there at Lassing Park in the car, and I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm such a failure. Stop crying. Get off the phone and get your praise on. I don't feel like praising. Get your praise on. And I said, okay. And I hung up the phone with him, and I just thought, oh, praise you, Lord. I pray. You know how you start. I praise you, Lord. I, I give you glory. I give you honor. 
and the spirit of me said, no, 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 praise. So right there in my car, I went buck wild. Hallelujah, praise your Lord. Glory to God, I thank you, God. My life is in your hand. My time's in your hand. You have something for us, and I give you praise. You will supply all of our needs. Hallelujah, I praise you for you are good. Your mercy everlasting. Your truth endures all generations. I'm praising God. And what happened? He turned it around. Because weeping, crying feeds the spirit of heaviness. It's going to weigh you down more and more and more. And some people have become masters at crying. Some folk become masters at crying because crying gets attention. It gets you sympathy. But sympathy doesn't get your stuff back. I wish I had a real church in here today. Sympathy does not get your stuff back. Compassion does not get your stuff back. You're going to have to fight. So I'm, I'm going to give you this other point about this. Number three, the reason you got to stop crying is because if you don't have strength to cry, you definitely won't have strength to fight. Remember the Bible says they cried, they wept until they had no, no more power to weep. Now, if you have no more power to weep, how are you going to fight? Now, remember, see number one, crying don't get your stuff back. So if you keep crying and you drain all your strength and crying not going to get your stuff back, you are definitely not going to have strength to fight, which fighting is what's going to get your stuff back. In fact, uh, give, me, give me verse 10, 1 Samuel uh, 30. Give me verse 10. How do I know this is true, Elder Warren? Watch this. Verse, look at verse 10, 1 Samuel 30 and verse 10. This is after, uh, I'm moving forward, I'm going to come back. Verse 10. But David pursued, so now this, I'm, I'm skipping ahead in the story. But David pursued, he and how many? Now, if you know the story, remember he had 600. It said he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Bezor. That means these 200 had cried so much. Now, if you keep reading, go to the end of the story. I don't have time to go to the end of it. You can go to the end of it when you're on time. You'll see that when they went and got all the stuff back, they brought the things back. And, and the, men, the men said, hey, don't let them have anything except their wives and their children who, who uh, you know, we went and got. That means these 200 didn't even go fight for their wives and their children. You can cry so much. And wear, your out, wear yourself out so much, you don't even have strength to fight for your family. These men wore themselves out crying about it. That's why my first command to you is to stop crying about it. You're going to get your stuff back this year. So you're going to get all your stuff back this year. All your family, all your loved ones, all the ones who's gone back out, you're going to get them all back. They're going to all walk with Jesus this year. Give me Jeremiah 31, 15 through 17 in the Living Bible. Because I want to give you a little bit of good news here. 
You got to stop crying because there's hope in your future. Jeremiah 31, verse 15 through 17. I got to pick up the pace here. Look at what it says in the, in the Living Bible. It says, the Lord spoke to me again, saying, in Ramah there is what? Bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children and cannot be confident for they are gone. See, when you lose something that's very dear to you, 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 you it'll make you cry. I'm not, I'm not denying that you're going to cry. I'm not telling you that you can't cry, that you're not going to feel something. But the Bible says here that, that God wants her to stop weeping. Verse 16, but the Lord says, don't cry any longer. Say, neighbor, don't cry any longer. Here's the good news. Here's what God says. Y'all better, you ready? You ready? Ready? Here's what God says. For I have heard. I don't know who this is for, but you better grab a hold of this. Your children that have gone astray, those things in your life that have gone astray, God says, stop crying. He says, I have heard your prayers. Some of you, you have prayed through tears, and God says, I have heard your prayers. You do not pray in vain. You do not seek me in vain. You do not fast in vain. You do not sow in vain. You do not vow in vain. I have heard your prayers. And watch this. And he says, and you will. You will see them again. You're going to see them in the house of God. You're going to see them serving God. You're going to see them walking with God. You will see them again. Everything the devil stole is coming back. Everything he stole, you're going to see it again. <laughs> Everything that's been lost, you're going to see it again. Oh, you weren't praying in vain. Everything that you lost is coming back and it's starting this year. This is the year of restoration. He says, and you will see them again. He says, they will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. That means I don't care how far out there they got. I wonder if I have two or three witnesses in here. I don't care how far out there they got. I don't care if they've been doing everything they can imagine in their evil hearts. He said, I don't care. I'm going to bring them all back. Here's the good news. There is hope for your future. Somebody ought to just shout about that. evil of the present cause you to lose your hope. He says there is hope for your future. It may not look good now, but it's about to turn around, says the Lord. It may not be right right now, but it's about to work out for your good. There is hope for your future and your children will come again to their own land. Your children well, I, I, Pastor, my children aren't missing. Your children are anything you produce. Anything you produce is your child. 
That business you produce and it, 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 just, it just lost it. That marriage you produce, that ministry, that anointing that you produce through your prayer time, that fellowship you produce, that prayer time that you produce, that walk with God you have produced on for that time that, and you lost it, it's gone. He said it's all coming back to you. All right. Let's go back to the Bible here. Y'all okay? So tell your neighbor, stop crying about it. Look at this, verse 5, verse 5, 1 Samuel 30, verse 5. And David's two wives, now David's crying too. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken. David had two wives, yes, it was lawful in that time, it ain't lawful anymore. The Bible says, it says to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Singular now. Bishop must be the husband. Deacon must be the husband of one wife. Can't have two now. You can't have a wife and a girlfriend. You can't have no side piece. Only side piece you ought to have is a, is a weapon. That's the only side piece you ought to have, brother. Nine millimeter or 40. Whatever you want, just that's your only side piece. But David's two wives have been taken captive. Look at, look at this. Now, David's, verse 4, David's weeping. He tells us why he's weeping. Because his two wives taken captive. Verse 6, now, now, David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. So I want you to notice this. Notice the, the, the vernacular here. Notice the, the verbiage here. That David, like everybody else, lost everything. David, like everyone else, wept for his family. But the Bible says now David, verse 6, he's distressed. But he wasn't distressed, you got to catch this, because his family was gone. That didn't distress him because David has a certain makeup about him. There's a certain DNA in David. Now with all that worry in David, he still cried because he felt the immediate impact of his family being gone. But that didn't stress him out because David has a different makeup on the inside of him that he knows what he want to do. Y'all, y'all missing that. He, 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 know, he knows what he want to do. But it says, verse 6, now David was greatly distressed for or because the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was, was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. All right? Now, David is a fighter. So he's not distressed by the fact his family's gone because he's a fighter. His distress came because everyone turned their anger on him. They turned all their blame on him. 
David's the same one who had brought them out of debt, distress, and discontentment. The same one. Same one, right, from, from, from chapter 22. They were all in distress and all in debt and all discontented. When they came to David, he became captain over him. These are the same men who David had led them out of poverty, out of debt, out of lack, out of busted up families. But now when something tragic happened in their lives, it's David's fault. And his distress comes because they're blaming him for their current crisis. So not only do, must you stop crying, you must stop blaming the wrong people. You must stop blaming the wrong people. Because notice in that verse, verse 6, it said in verse 6, put up for me please so you can see this. For the people spoke of stoning him. Right? What do you not see there? What you, what's missing is they spoke of getting their stuff back. So the only thing they're talking about is stoning David. Not getting their wives back. Not getting their children back. Not how we're going to rebuild our city. All they can talk about is stoning David. It's David's fault. Here we are following you. You're supposed to be some kind of king one day. Now we're going to blame David for our situation. <laughs> but how many of y'all know that stoning David wouldn't get their stuff back? You can stone him and you still won't have your stuff. You can stone your pastor over lunch today, but your house will still be a wreck. You can stone Pastor Kim while you're sitting around with all your girls, but your house still a mess. Because your mess is not your leader's fault. There's an adversary. The devil, who's going about as a roaring lion, seeking who may devour. And the devil would like you to spend all your time and energy blaming your mama. If my daddy had raised me this way, and my mama had given me this, and if my grandma had done that, and you can spend all your time blaming your cousin, and blaming the white man, and blaming the government, and blaming the folk for, for loss, as when not understanding, no, the devil is the one who's destroying your life. Wait, y'all missing it. This happens in marriage all the time. <clears throat> I said, this happens in marriage all the time. That husbands and wives get into an argument, fussing and fighting, about cussing each other out, throwing blows, talking about each other mama. Your mama keep burning the turkey every Thanksgiving. I don't know why we keep going to your stinking mama house. Our house smell like mothballs and all that stuff. And your, your daddy's feet smell like vinegar chips. I want to take his shoes off at the table. I don't know what's wrong. We go to your daddy's house. 
Amen. Blaming, start blaming and, and directing our animus, our anger at our spouses when your spouse is not the problem. There is an author of confusion called the devil. And the reason why there is confusion is because somebody or perhaps both of you have allowed the devil to enter in and bring division. And so we direct our anger at each other and the devil is saying, <laughs> because blaming David and blaming the spouse or blaming your mama is not, or blaming the government or blaming whoever is not going to get your stuff back. Misplaced blame leads to misplaced attacks. If you blame the wrong person, you're going to attack the wrong person. And you'll start attacking the very ones who you need to partner with. And you'll start attacking the very ones who, who, who you need to pray with. We need, we, you know what? Rather than arguing and fussing, we need, we need to go stop and take communion right here. I'm going to say it again. Rather, rather than fussing and fighting, we need to stop and take communion. I'm going to say it again for all married couples. Rather than fussing and fighting, we need to stop and take communion and get back in agreement because this fussing ain't going to bring our peace back. It's not going to restore our happy home. But watch this. The Bible says, I'm going to prove this how it happens. Y'all got a few more minutes because I, man, I, I got I to gotta give you this. I got I to give you this. Oh. The Bible says in, in this verse that the soul of, ev of all the people was grieved. Now that word grieved means bitter. In a good Bible, you'll have a little mark and it'll say bitter. Bitterness never gets your stuff back. Matter of fact, bitterness, according to the word of God, poisons your soul. In Acts 8, 23, this is what Peter said about Simon, who was the sorcerer, who now saved. He said, you are poisoned by bitterness. Bitterness poisons you. Now, if something poisons you, it doesn't destroy the person you're bitter at. Hello? If you are bitter and you take the poison, it doesn't destroy the person you're mad at, the person you're blaming. Poison destroys the person who takes it. So the devil works hard to help you and me get bitter when we should be saying, wait a minute. The devil is the one behind this. The devil is the one trying to destroy my family. The devil is the one trying to destroy my marriage. Bitter poison, bitterness poisons your soul. According to Hebrews 12.15, bitterness causes trouble. The Bible says in Hebrews 12.15 that we need to be careful lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. So bitterness poisons you and causes trouble. You better catch that. Bitterness. Now, here's what happened. Y'all better catch this. Remember I said, number one, stop crying, all that crying, right? Because the more you cry, the more you develop bitterness. Every time you cry, listen to me, every time you cry, 
Thank you, Holy Spirit. The, the thoughts that you have from the cries are seeds. Every thought you have is a seed. And if you don't take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, those seeds get planted. And those seeds, when they sprout, you develop a root now of bitterness. And a bitter person don't get along with anybody. Anything. Bitter about, had to raise these dogs on children by myself. I know, but that ain't gonna pay the rent, baby, because you cried about it. That ain't gonna provide nam pamper. That ain't gonna provide nam light bill. That ain't gonna cry. No, I know, I know. You were done dirty. You were done dirty. He's a dirty dog. Okay, that's a fact. Now what? Because there is a God who will supply all of your needs. Won't he do it? Oh, okay. Okay. So stop crying about it. Stop blaming the wrong people. Okay, notice what it says in 1 Timothy 30 verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed when people spoke a stone to him because the, the people spoke a stone to him because the soul of people was grieved. Every man is for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now we know that. We read in the King James, David encouraged himself. And we, we all like to say that David encouraged himself. And we sing the psalm, sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Yes, yes, amen, amen, amen. But the word encourage does not mean make yourself feel better. That's not what encourage means. Encourage means to put in courage. It's to put courage in. Encourage. Discourage means to take courage out. Discourage doesn't mean make you feel bad. Discourage means take your courage out. Encourage means to put courage in. So when it says encourage, it literally means, as, as the New King James translated, later that he strengthened himself. And he strengthened himself in the Lord. Now why did David have to do that? Or why rather did he do it? Is because he knew he couldn't go fight without strength. He couldn't go fight without courage. Now, you got to catch what I'm saying here. Because the whole while, David's mindset isn't, isn't, okay, we lost everything, life is over. His whole mindset is, okay, I'm about to go get, I'm, I'm, I'm about to. You see, y'all not catching it. The reason why he wasn't distressed, the reason why he wasn't grieved and bitter like they were was because his whole mindset was, I'm going to get my stuff. I ain't going to let nobody have my, I'm not going to let nobody take my wives and my children and all my stuff and just sit here and take it and take it and take it. 
So he now has to strengthen himself in the Lord. Now, how did he strengthen himself? Remember, at the moment this is happening, y'all with me? At the moment this is happening, they're speaking of stoning him. So the number one, the way he strengthened himself was he remembered his prophetic destiny. You must remember your prophetic destiny. Pastor, what's that all about? Well, David remembered that God chose him to be the king, the next king. And he wasn't the king yet. So he knew that although they spoke of stoning him to death, they couldn't. I'm going to come over here. Although his life was being threatened at the moment, he knew he was not going to die. Because there was a prophetic word over his life. And the way you encourage yourself, the way you strengthen yourself when the devil is threatening you is you say, wait a minute, I know what God told me. And what God told me has not come to pass yet. That's the reason why Joseph, when Joseph had a word from God in the book of Genesis, why Joseph was thrown in a pit and he still didn't lose it. Why Joseph was made a slave and he still didn't lose it. Why Joseph became a prisoner and he still didn't lose it because he remembered that God had a word over his life. And until his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tried him, tested him, proved him. And so David knew he remembered that day that the prophet Samuel came to the crib. The day the prophet came to the house, how that oil wouldn't flow for Eliab, how that oil wouldn't flow for brother number two, wouldn't flow for brother number three, and four, and five, and six, and seven. And how his daddy almost forgot that he even existed. And the prophet had to ask, is there another boy? And he said, yeah, it's that son of mine. He out there with the sheep. He out there with the sheep. He said, call him. And when David came running, that oil that would not flow for brothers one through seven, that oil began to flow on his head and David knew that God had anointed him as the next king of Israel so although he was in dire circumstances although he was under the very threat of death he couldn't die because God's word had, some of you you gotta realize you can't die yet I don't care how they threaten you. I don't care what the devil tells you. I don't care what he brings about in your life. I don't care if everybody named mama assemble against your life. They may all assemble, but not by me. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. You can't kill me. You can't take me out. I still have more prophetic destiny. You can't take me out. There's still more to be done in my life. I still don't have everything God said. You can't end my life. 
All right, sit down. I got I to I finish. I got to finish. I got to finish. I got to finish. It's after, it's after one. It's after one. It's after one. It's after one. So how do I strengthen myself? I remember my prophetic destiny. But number two, I remember my past victories. And I got to show you this. Now, we all know about David slaying Philistines by the hundreds, by the thousands. We know the most famous story about David killing Goliath, but that's not the victory I'm talking about. I want you to look back in 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to read verses 34 to 37 in the CEV because David, the problem was right here, Deacon Gershom, is that David... His stuff was stolen. The devil had taken what belonged to David. So the reason why David already had it in his mind, I'm going to go get my stuff, is because he would never used to letting the devil take his stuff and keep it. He had experience in restoration. He had experience in retrieving what the devil had stolen from him. The, David couldn't just let the stuff go. Some of us in the body of Christ have, oh my God, show but I saw that. Some of us in the body of Christ have become so wimpy. In the spirit, the devil takes stuff, we just let it go. We punked out in the Holy Ghost. The devil just come takes them, we just, we'll just, let it go. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. David, David, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't built like that. David, his, 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 his life wasn't set up like that. The Bible says, watch this in 1 Samuel 17, watch this. I want you to see this story. Y'all know the story, but I want you to see it in the CEV because when, when the Lord took me back to this, I, I said, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm hearing it different than I have ever heard before. And he said, read another translation. So watch this, verse 34. But this is when David is going to go fight Goliath. And uh, Saul says, uh, you can't go beat Goliath. You're just a little boy. David now records or rehearses his previous experiences. But David told him, your majesty, I take care of my father's sheep. And watch this. And when one of them is dragged off by a lion or a bear, stop. Now, I've read that scripture. I've known this story my whole life. Even if I hadn't read it, I heard it. And I've heard it and I've read it. But in my mind, what I pictured it as was if a lion or bear was coming, David fought him off. But he said, no, read it how it reads. So I had to find a translation that will show you what the way he saw it. Put it put up again, put up again, put up again. Go, go back to the beginning of the verse. He says, when one of them is dragged off. That means the lion isn't coming. The lion already got it and he gone. Jesus says that when I have a hundred sheep and one is missing, do I not leave the 99? Leave them. To go get the one? Jesus, the son of David? David said when one of them, those sheep is dragged off by a lion or a bear, verse 35, verse 35, I go after it. 
I want you to find your neighbor. Say neighbor. Look him right now. Look at him now and say neighbor. It's time to go after it. Oh, find somebody else. They didn't get it. Find somebody else. Find somebody else. Neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Neighbor. Oh, neighbor. It's time to go after it. The devil's got your stuff. Don't let the devil keep your stuff. It's time to go after it. He said when they go, they drag off one of my father's sheep. He said, I go after it. It's already gone. The sheep's gone. I mean, you wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. You understand, David's not, Shante, David's not guarding two or three little sheep. David's guarding, I mean, a flock of sheep. What matters if one little sheep is gone? The problem was, if you let the lion and the bear get one, once he gets a taste for one. Who am I talking to? Once he gets a taste for one, he's coming back. Now, how do I know? Because he says, he says, I go after it and beat the wild animal until it lets the sheep go. If the wild animal turns and attacks me, I grab it by the throat and kill it. Now watch verse 36 because this is what the Lord showed me. He says, sir, I have killed lions. more than once because I have what the enemy wanted y'all better you you missed it tell you that but you have what the enemy wants see you got the image of God you have the anointing you have the glory of God you have the power of God you have the word of God you have the honor of God you have that you have all that and the devil wants it so he's always going to come back again and again and again. So you can't afford to let him have just one. So he says, I've killed lions and bears that way. Then he said, I can kill this worthless Philistine. He shouldn't have made fun of the army. He shouldn't have, he shouldn't, he shouldn't have made fun of the living army. Verse 37, verse 37. The Lord has rescued me from the claws of lions and bears, and he will keep me safe. Now, 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 sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Sit down. I got, you got to get this. You got to get this. I'm, I'm, I'm about to close, guys. I'm about to close. I'm about to close. I'm about to close. He, 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 he. So when his wives and his children are taken, he's already in his mind. I've been through this before. If I ain't scared, I ain't scared of lions. 
If I ain't scared of bears, I ain't never scared of no Amalekites. Somebody say I ain't never scared. I ain't never scared. I ain't never scared of no Amalekites if I have already whipped lions and bears over and over and over again. So in his mind, that's why he didn't get distressed about that. Because he knows what he's going to do. All right, all right. Let me, let, me let, me let me finish. 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 Back in 1 Samuel 30. 1 Samuel 30. Boy, y'all, y'all going you, you gonna, to you gonna, you gonna get all your stuff. All right. You, I, I see it. I see it. I see it. Your testimonies are about to go to a different level this year because you're going to not only have the stuff you have now, but you're going to get back stuff from past generations. Stuff that was taken from your mama and your daddy and your grandma and your great granddaddy. Generational blessings, generational inheritance, generational property, generational possessions are going to come back in your life. Oh. Verse 7. Verse 7. Here we go. 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 Verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord. So next thing I want you to do this year is to seek direction from God. Seek direction from God. Now you got to catch this. David was confident that he could get his stuff back. Y'all better catch it. He's confident that he could, but he needed to know if he should. He needed to know specifically if he was supposed to pursue. Now, why is this important? Why is this important? Number one, catch this, catch this, catch this. Some things God removes from our lives. Now, that's not this case. But I want you to make sure you inquire before you chase something that left your life. Make sure that it wasn't God that removed it. Because God has invested his interest in you. He's invested the son's blood in you. And what he wants to do is get you to your expected end. So when he knows that there are things or people that are hindering your progress towards your destiny, there are some things and some people that he will remove from your life. I wish I had a witness here this morning. There are some things that you're trying, my brother-in-law said it this way, don't retain what God tried to release. You're trying to retain what God's trying to release. There are some friends you're fighting to keep relationship with, and God said, I want them out of your life. Oh, y'all understand that. There are some family members you insist on hanging around. 
And God is saying, to get you where I want you to be, I'm moving them out of your life. Right now, they are a hindrance, child. And you keep fighting for relationship that he's trying to nullify. Y'all ain't saying much. I'm going to clap for myself. That's good, pastor. That's good, pastor. There are some things. There are some jobs you took. Like David going to fight with Achish. When he shouldn't have been with Achish. He should have been in Ziklag. And God knows there are some places you've gone on your own that you went on your own. You shouldn't have gone there. And he's delivering you from that, but you're fighting, trying to hold on to it. He said, no, 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 no. Seek direction from God and find out if what, what is gone is supposed to be back in my life. Oh, y'all, y'all quiet, you quiet, you quiet. <laughs> I, I, know, I know I've lost my voice, but y'all got to just grab this. You got to grab this. Tell your neighbor you need to, di to differentiate. Make a distinction between what's supposed to be there and what's not supposed to be there. If God removes it, the Bible says that God removes the first, that he may establish the second. So some things God takes away to make room for what he's bringing. That's why you can't just on your own instinctively run after it. But well, this is better than y'all letting on this morning. Number two is you don't, watch this, this is very easy. You don't know how God's going to restore your stuff. David knew he couldn't let the enemy keep his stuff. He knew he couldn't let the enemy keep his wives and children. He just didn't know how God was going to do it. Y'all better catch that. So the things that you know that belong to you, that you're supposed to have, you need to wait on God as to the how. David could have rushed out and found himself in trouble. So what he did was he called for Abiathar. The priest and said, Bring me the ephod. Oh. Go back to 1 Samuel 30. Come on, meet him. 1 Samuel 30. He called for Abiathar, the priest, Abimelech's son, and said, Please bring the ephod here to me. Now, the ephod, you look it up in the Hebrew, it's the word mantle. Elder Baker, when I saw this, man, I almost, I almost, I almost flipped out of the bed. This has been declared by my apostle as the year of the mantle. So he said, before I go and do anything stupid, before I go do anything rash, bring me the mantle. It's going to be important this year if you're going to get your stuff back. That you now mantle means covering, it's a covering. It's going to be important that you have the right covering. 
That's why the devil fights so hard to get you disconnected from your covering. To get you away from the mantle that he has in your life. That's why he'll, he'll, he'll bring you all kind of uh, teachers because people have itching ears. He'll bring all kind of teachers. And, and Paul said, you have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers because the f- teachers don't pass mantles. Fathers do. Teachers don't cover. Fathers cover. So he said, bring me the covering. Because once he's under the covering, now he's in position to make an inquiry. Now he's positioned for intercession. Now he says in in verse 8, so David inquired of the Lord. When you're under the right covering, when you're in right position, you're in the position now to hear from God. Y'all don't like it. They don't like it, Lord. They don't like it. They don't like it. When you're under covering, you're in position. And the devil wants to get you uh, running after this covering and running after that mantle and running after this. And you're honoring this and joining that and grab a hold of that. But no, God gives you mantles and covering for a reason. This is the year of the mantle. And as long as you stay under proper covering, every time you pray, God's going to answer your prayer. Y'all missed it. You didn't, you didn't catch it. You didn't catch it. Every time you pray, God's going to hear your prayer and answer your prayer because this is the year of the mantle and it's the year of restoration and God's bringing back into your life everything that belongs to you. Watch this. Watch this. I got to close. I got I to close. I got to close. Watch this. In the 29th chapter, remember I told you what happened in the 29th chapter? They went off going to fight. Right? He never asked for the mantle in 29. He never asked for the ephod in 29. He went on his own. And so he said, I'm not doing that no more. That's what got us here in the first place. That's what got my whole life to short in the first place. I ain't doing that no more. From now on, I'm going to make sure I stand on the mantle, and I'm going to seek God on what to do. Y'all got it? All right, here it is. Here it is. Let's, 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 let's wrap this up. 1 Samuel 30, verse 9. Verse 9. Oh, no, go, go, go to verse 8. Verse 8. Verse 8. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him. Here's the answer. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail. Now, what does, what does David have now? He has what we call a rhema word. He has a proceeding word from the mouth of God. Now he has marching orders because he knows that the mission will be successful. Now here's your next step. If you're going to get your stuff. Start without delay. Start without delay. Verse 9, after David got the word, the Bible says, so David went. Y'all, y'all, you didn't get it. So David went. <laughs> See, once he got the word, y'all missed it. I'm giving you the word today. 
Once David got the word, he went. He didn't think about it no more. He didn't rally himself no more. He had to go through no more testimonies. He need three days of fasting, 21 days of fasting. He just said, all right, I got the word. I'm gone. I already had it in me to go. I just finally got God's approval. I already know I can beat him. But now I know he's with me. And he told me I'm going to get everything back. I ain't sitting here no more. I ain't starting next Monday. I'm starting today. I ain't waiting till February. Well, I ain't waiting. Well, I'm waiting out the winter time. You know, it's going to be cooler, you know, uh, warmer, you know. No, no, you start. I'm going right now. Tell your neighbor, go right now. Go after it. Go after it, right? Go right now. Now, watch this. I don't, I'm not going to read all the story. I'm, I'm way out of time. I'm way past time here. But David... He went, and if you know the story, he didn't even know where to go. You read the story, he didn't know where to look. Ain't like the Malachites came and left a note, said, hey, we got your wives, your children, and all your stuff. We're going to be uh, uh, 20 nautical miles to the left and, you know, five paces to the right. X marks a spot. We're going to be right there and left them a map. They didn't do that. But you know how faith works? Abraham went out not knowing. So once you get a word, God, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to go, but you told me to go. I'm going to get my stuff back. I don't know. Am I supposed to go and call somebody? Am I supposed to go look down 30, 35th Street? Am I supposed to go down 49th Street? I don't, I don't know where to go, but I'm, I, you, you told me to go. I don't, I don't know who would I call first, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull, get my phone book out. Gonna, I'm going to call. Some, God, I'm going. All right, verse 16. Let's close it out. Here it is, last part. Ah, Lord. Oh, Lord. You're welcome, sir. You're going to get everything back, Barry. Everything the devil stole, God's bringing it back to you. Verse 16. And when he had brought him down, now David, he goes, he don't know where to go, but he runs into an Egyptian. And this Egyptian was a servant of the Amalekites that the Amalekites, for some stupid reason, left him behind. Just dumb because you don't leave any evidence. You don't leave anybody to tell where you've been. But the devil is dumb, y'all. I said the devil dumb. He's gonna leave a trail. You might find it on Instagram, but he's gonna leave a trail. You're gonna find it on. It's gonna be. You're gonna be something. You're gonna find out. And so David grabbed this Egyptian young man and he says, "Take us where they are." Verse 16. And when he had brought him down. There they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking. I, want, I need you to see this. See the devil with your stuff. Eating and drinking and dancing in that mansion that belongs to you. That, they in, you're in your mansion. Eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. 
Verse 17, David didn't waste any time. <laughs> then David attacked them. David didn't make any threats and say, I'm going to see, see if they attack me. No, he attacked them. Remember Goliath? He ran towards Goliath. That, that, that's how David was set up, man. He just had that. He attacked them from twilight. Twilight is right, right at the time, you know, sun's going down or sun's coming up. All right? Until the evening of the next day. He whipped them. I mean, that's, that's all they whipping. However long it took. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. Verse 18. Because here's the last point. Here's the last point. Secure your stuff and spoil the enemy. Secure your stuff and spoil the enemy. It's right here in the text. Verse 18. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. He's getting his stuff. And David rescued his two wives. So secure your stuff. And nothing of theirs. Here's the good news. Nothing of theirs was lacking. Either small or great. Sons or daughters. Spoil. Or anything which they had taken from them. That means the enemy took it, but the devil, but God never gave him a chance to use it. Remember when, you remember when Abimelech took Abraham's wife, Sarah? Remember when even Pharaoh took Abraham's wife, Sarah? And God will let either one of them touch her? Because she's part of the prophetic destiny? David recovered how much? All. Say it again. All. How much you going to recover? All. How much you going to get back this year? All. All is coming back in your life. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those of the livestock and said, this is David's spoil. What does that mean? That means David went beyond getting just his stuff back. These men were marauders. They were bands of raiders, and they would go throughout lands, and they would, they would uh, destroy lands and take from many, many other people. So not only did David get back what they took from him, he took all the spoils they had collected along the way. That's secure in the bag right there. See, if you will go... God will give you all that belong to you and more. Because, watch this. Here's what this means, evangelist. That means that the other people that the Malachites had stolen from never bothered to go get it. They let them have it. But David said, uh-uh. No, we're not like that. We're going to take all our stuff. And if you don't want your stuff back, we're going to get all y'all stuff too. So that means everybody's not going to do this. But I'm going to tell you right up front, and I don't want you to be mad at me down the road. 
if you ain't going to get yours, I'm going to go get mine and I'm going to take yours too. Somebody get on your feet and give God a praise right now. While you're standing, I want to read one last verse. Proverbs 6, 30 and 31. Here's the foundational principle that David could operate on. And here's the foundational principle you must operate on this year. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Verse 31. Yet when he is found, if the thief is found, David found the thieves. He must what? He must what? This is the year of what? He must. I, I have news for you. I've already found a thief. It's not your husband, your wife, it ain't your children, it ain't your mom, it ain't the government, it's the devil. He's been found. And according to scripture, he must restore how much? That means that whatever you lost, you're not just going to get what you lost back. Seven times. Seven times what he took. He's going to regret he bothered you. Because he may have to give up all the substance of his house. It's already been prophesied that God's going to bankrupt the devil. He's going to give up all of his house. Well, in a bankruptcy, somebody gains something. Somebody's going to make so somebody, it goes back to those of us to whom it belongs. Seven times more and the whole household. But what's required? I got to see God. God, do I go get it? I'm going to stop my crying. Ready to get all my stuff back. Everything the devil stole, I'm taking it back this year. Somebody say, I want it all back. Say it again, I want it all back. Everything the devil stole, God's giving it back to me. Now give God one more big praise today in this place. Lift your hands in this room. Lift your hands. Father, I, I mean, when I say lift your hands, I mean especially those of you who you have lost something. You've lost something. You know the devil has stolen something from you, something valuable. Whether it's your peace, your joy, you know, something emotional like that, something spiritual like that, or your children, your families, your career, your your health, your ability to sleep through the night, the fellowship you once enjoyed with someone, your prayer lives. Truth be told, the devil stole a lot of people's prayer lives. But that's your prayer life. Your walk with God, he's robbed you of it. But it's yours to have. God's so generous, so merciful, so compassionate, he's right there. And everything the devil's stolen, God says, 
starting this year. I'm going to bring it back into your life. It's going to send the angels to repossess what belongs to you. Things have hit us in life that have been so hard. Some people haven't recovered since 2020. Still haven't recovered that level of joy, that level of peace, that level of fellowship, that level of intimacy, that level of connection that they once had with the Lord or with others. God said, I'll restore it all. With your hands lifted, Father, I pray for these your precious people in this room today and those that are online. I pray, God, that each person today has a well-made-up mind that they will not allow the devil to keep their stuff. That, God, whatever has been stolen over the years, we even reach back into previous generations. We reach back to previous generations and things that were stolen from our parents and our foreparents, our forefathers, and things that were stolen for generations way in the past that have never been restored. We pray for full restoration. You said in your word, you'll restore the years. The locusts and the caterpillar and the canker worm, the grasshoppers that they have devoured. God, restore years. Restore time that was lost when we were down. Restore the time. Restore the years. Restore the health. You said in your word in Jeremiah, you said you, you will restore health. Restore health today. God, we shouldn't be struggling to walk, struggling to sleep, struggling to lay down, struggling to get up, struggling to eat. Restore health today. Restore finances that have been lost. God, we shouldn't be struggling to pay our living expenses, struggling to eat, struggling to give, struggling to live, struggling to bless, struggling to help somebody. Restore. Ha, 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 ha. Repossess. Repossess. Got all that money. You said the earth is the Lord's. The fullness thereof. You don't want the wicked having all this stuff. We call it into the kingdom of God. Into the hands of your righteous men and women of God. And we pray, Father, today that your people will begin to lay hold of all that belongs to us. I pray, Father, that as our sons come back home and our daughters come back home, that we receive them with loving arms, open arms, that as you restore fellowships, we even pray for this ministry, that you restore those who've left and walked away, who were tricked out, seduced out by the enemy, those who fell out from bitterness or strife or whatever the case may be, restore. We cry restore. We cry restore. Every ministry, every member that belongs here, restore. 
we pray, Father, that this house will be a house full of joyful people because of the astonishing things you do in our lives this year. We thank you for the year of restoration. Thank you for the year of mantles. Thank you for the year of release. Thank you for all that you're doing this year, God. Let it all be unto us. According to your word, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Put those hands together. And give